This series is called The Ologies, um, which is really just a cute way of saying that we're going to be studying systematic theology. <laughs> um, and that's what I, uh, hopefully you're not rolling your eyes or hopefully you're not already falling asleep or anything <laughs> uh, when I say systematic theology because you might sound like, you might think that that's just for academics or something like that. Well, actually what I want to do is, uh, what I'm hoping to do this morning and maybe next week if I need to uh, bleed into that, um, but just kind of introduce this topic, not only the topic of theology in general, but also systematic theology, <laughs> but also tell you why it's important and why we don't have to act as if it's just this <laughs> dry, dusty subject, which I don't know if you're thinking that already, but hopefully I want to tell you that you don't have to think that way. Because uh, even if you're not aware of it, you are likely, quote-unquote, doing theology uh, almost all the time. Uh, and so what we're going to hopefully do is show show you how you can do that in a way that's, that's not only more faithful, but also more enjoyable, too. So um, just... A simple sort of like gauging the room. How many of you would say that you are familiar with the topic or the idea of systematic theology? One person. That's great. This is going to be a great class then. Um, what do you think systematic theology is, Paul? I don't know. Oh, okay. I'm just putting you on the spot. <laughs> How many of you would say you are comfortable with calling yourself a theologian? Raise of hands. No one wants to be called a theologian. Well, uh, see, now I'm getting really excited because um, what this class is going to do, the ologies, is really just uh, give, it's going to give all of us, I think, an opportunity to uh, be able to explore uh, what we believe based on what the Bible says, to affirm what we believe based on what the Bible says, but also what it's going to do also is invite you to just see that whether you realize it or not, you are a theologian. Um, that's... You can go out here saying, yeah, I'm a theologian. You can tell your friends that too. Um, because indeed, if you believe in Jesus, if you believe in uh, what he has accomplished for you, and you are, um, even if you're, you know, you're somewhat uh, inconsistent in your Bible reading, you're still a theologian. And you may think, oh, that's just for the for the seminary professors, that's for the academics, that's for, um, you know, the doctorates of ministry and blah, blah, blah. Well, actually, no. Uh, theology is for the everyday. It's for everyone. Um, studying theology is not just for pastors. It's not just for teachers. It's not just for those who are, quote, unquote, professional ministers, those who are doing ministry or doing teaching and stuff like that as their vocation. Theology is for Everyone, And in fact, I would even say following Jesus necessitates theology. Um, some of this, what I'm going to cover this morning, is um, going to be a little bit of like a remix of what I did in, in a class uh, on Sunday nights. By the way, I'm going to do another commercial, but just a pre-commercial for Sunday nights recently, where you've been going through what's called biblical theology, which is, I'll tell you about that later. But a little bit of this is going to be coming from that. But there's this idea, maybe you've heard this before, maybe you've, you've come across it, maybe someone has even told you this before in a conversation, but maybe someone have said, has said, um, I don't need theology, I just need Jesus. Have you ever heard that before? Or something similar, like, you know, I don't need, I don't need to study doctrine, I don't need to study that stuff, I just need Jesus. And I actually heard, uh, saw somewhere where, uh, I don't know, it was some 
Christian person on Twitter, I guess, and they were saying basically if they were given an option of having to love their neighbor or choose the Bible, they would love their neighbor. And I was like, that's a false dichotomy because <laughs> the Bible's not going to tell you not to love your neighbor. But that's that idea that we don't need you know, the book stuff. We don't need the rigid theology stuff. We just need to, we just need to love and, and we just need to be, yeah, we need to love our neighbor. The Bible calls us that. But the point is, theology doesn't also mean not loving people. In fact, your loving of people is going to be informed by your theology in a really, really powerful way. Otherwise, it's just going to be kind of like a love that has no basis. It's going to be a love that really has no foundation. It's just kind of being uh, affectionate to someone without having a deep sense of also their need. Um, we, can, we can love people, be friendly to people, be neighborly to people, but without a, 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 a love that's informed by theology, it's, it's just kind of surface level. Uh, and that's kind of what I'm hoping to, to show us, is that you, uh, all of us, need theology. That's kind of what we're going to go through in this, in this series. By the way, if someone says that to you, um, I don't need theology, I just need Jesus, uh, I can tell you how you can di- like dismantle that whole idea in about two seconds. You ask them a follow-up question, and you say, who is Jesus? Because any answer they give to that question is going to be a theological answer. It's going to show you where they stand about who Jesus is, what he has done, what he has said he's going to do. So if someone says, I don't need theology, I just need Jesus to say, who is Jesus? And that'll tell you where their theology is. And it may not be good, but it'll at least tell you where it is on whether it's lining up with the Bible or whatever. So the the question then is not whether or not you're going to be a theologian, um, even if you don't think that you are a theologian here this morning. What the question really is, whether or not you're going to be a good theologian. Um, that's really the question that's at stake uh, when wherever we're opening the Bible, whenever we're, we're studying the Word of God for our own benefit or for, you know, for a small group or whether we're teaching uh, some sort of ministry or just getting the Bible for ourselves, the point is, is how we are going about that is also uh, being informed by uh, the theology that we have uh, in our hearts and in our minds. So that's what I hope to do through this series, and anyone else who teaches, um, is to just get you excited about theology, but also show you that you're always doing theology, so to speak, whether you realize it or not. So let's answer some questions. What is theology? Who who wants to venture a guess at what theology is, what that word means? We're going to mention it a lot. Um, So what does theology mean? Anyone have any ideas? Study of something. Good. I like that. Ology, right? yep. <laughs> Anyone else have a guess? Natalie? Study of God. Study of God. That's, yep. That's a good answer. So, uh, theology is a Greek word. It's derived from two other Greek words. Theos, meaning God, and logos, meaning word or discourse. So, literally speaking, it's discourse about God or study of God. That's usually how it's, trans- how it's commonly referred to in, in English. But essentially, it's discourse about God. You can think of it also like this. Like, properly speaking, theology is just the practice, the, the discipline of t- taking the facts of God, gleaned from the word of God, and sort of putting them into an order that we can understand. 
Uh, within the, the very broad, so just saying theology, discourse about God, is a super broad term that covers a number of other smaller little fields of study within Christianity. Um, so just saying theology is not super specific. There's a lot of narrower studies, uh, fields of study too, such as, again, a commercial biblical theology. Biblical theology is just a term that it, it sort of designates this this discipline of tracing the overarching story of the Bible, the overarching emphasis of the Bible. Or, or you have historical theology, which is just looking at the history of the church from the first century till now and noticing how the movements of theological belief or the movements of geopolitics informed what the church believed or what the church declared and, and how all of that has moved or transitioned throughout the centuries. That's historical theology. But there's lots of other ones too so um but this leads me to then this other question which is what is the basis for theology what's what are where is all of our theology where is it rooted in what where do we get it from yeah sunday school answer the bible yes that's the right answer the bible Um, all theology uh, how we engage in it is rooted in the scriptures um and i think that um this, I think, kind of goes back to that point that we mentioned earlier, is that you don't um, have to have, like, a seminary degree. You don't even have to have an interest in higher learning, so to speak, to be a theologian. Doing theology just means opening up our Bibles. Um, and that might sound too simple to you. you. You might sound that that sounds too elementary, but that's, the, that's sort of the point. Theology is not some sort of secluded off little section uh, of knowledge just for the quote-unquote learned and academic. Theology is sort of an invitation for each of us to engage in, yes, discourse about God, to know more about the God that loves us infinitely. That's sort of the point. Theology is always and must always be rooted in the Word, and without the Word of God, our knowledge of God has no legs to stand on, so to speak. And that's, that's why I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this this morning because we're devoting a whole cl- uh, Sunday night sort of session on that. Um, but uh, really, if you want to talk about theology, before we get into what I'm going to introduce today and then maybe um, next week, before we get to systematic theology, which I'll talk about in a minute, the basis for all theology is biblical theology. It is rooted in what the Bible says. That's, that's the bait. You have to start at that's the the square one, so to speak, of all um, engaging in discourse about God, getting in the Bible. And, and again, that might sound too simple, but that's the point. <laughs> it is simple. It's just reading God's word and noting what it says and then tracing all of the different connecting points. And, and, and that's why it's helpful to have other uh, sort of study helps and things that have already done some of those connecting things for you if you, if you need those at times. But the point is this, is that all theology is rooted in the word and it starts from there. We have to start with the scriptures. Um, what we've been talking about on Sunday evening is, is just, I think, this amazing point is that your Bible, we've talked about this before perhaps in different little venues or, or settings, but the Bible has one story. It's, you know, 30,000 odd verses. It's almost 1,200 chapters. It's 66 books. It's 40-some different authors covering about 1,500 years of, of writing and all that kind of stuff. And yet it has one point. The whole point of the Bible, and I'm not going to read 
preach this, although I really want to. The whole point of the Bible, I would say, is found in Luke 24. And we're not going to, you can go there, but that's like my favorite chapter of, of all time. And Luke 24 is what? That, that scene where the two disciples are on the road to Emmaus. And the, resur- uh, the crucifixion has happened, and it's resurrection morning. They don't know it's the resurrection morning, because they're talking about the fact that their teacher has died, and now his body's missing. We don't know what's going on. We heard a rumor, because these women told us that his body's missing, and all that kind of stuff. And now we're all, this, we're all concerned, these two disciples are, as they're walking to Emmaus from Jerusalem. And who shows up? None other than Jesus. The resurrected Lord shows up in their midst, although they don't know that it's him. And he starts asking the question, hey, what's, what's going on? Why are you so sad? Why are you so blue? What's got you down? And they tell him about all these things that have happened. And they say, we thought it was him. We thought it was him. Actually, let me read it. You know, I said I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to do it anyways. Um, Luke 24, because I like what they say, and I like what Jesus responds to them. Um, so... Jesus asked them, what things? What things are you talking about? This is Luke 24, 19. What things are you talking about? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we, this is a really important verse, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things has happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But him... They did not see. Here you're getting, you know what you're getting in these verses? You are getting these disciples, you're getting their biblical theology. That's what you're reading. You're reading the way that they understand the scriptures. So for them, it would be called the Tanakh. It would be the first 39 books of your Bible. That was their Bible, if you want to think about it that way. You're getting, the, you're getting an insight. You're getting a glimpse into how they have read the Bible. That's what they're revealing. They had this teacher who was teaching them, and then all of a sudden they were like, we thought it was him. We thought he was the one who was going to notice, verse 21 again, where he says, to redeem Israel. And you're getting a glimpse into how their biblical theology had veered into left field, so to speak. Again, we've talked about this in a couple of places, but again, to reemphasize it, there was a very predominant idea and notion that was being taught but also being received that, uh, that the Messiah, Israel's Messiah, the long-promised king that would come and save Israel, would do so merely on sort of a military level, on merely a political level, so to speak. He would be a king. He would raise Israel back to national and global dominance by also leading sort of a coup against the Roman tyranny. And it would, it would get Israel out of Roman dominance, lead Israel back to glory. And the kingdom of God would be established by this awesome military and political leader. And that was the, that was the, the sentiment. They would read the Messianic texts in the Old Testament. You can go to Psalm 2. You can go to all these other places, Psalm 110. Uh, There was all these other places where the Messiah was sort of hinted at, but they were looking at it from a lens that only saw him as just being another, better, greater king. 
on this level, earthly level, horizontal level. That was the that was the sentiment. And so you can imagine then, if these two disciples, that their whole their whole sort of motive for living, their whole faith, their whole theology, all of their ideas about God and spirituality and religion and faith, all of them are geared towards what? Having their hope in this figure who is going to come from God, yes, but he's going to come and lead Israel out of Roman dominance and back in uh, back into the national and global spotlight. That was all of what they had led, been led to believe. And then suddenly Jesus comes along and they're seeing all the things line up. He's the guy. He's the one. Look at all the things he's doing. We're, we're getting excited now, right? You're getting excited. You're getting so filled with energy. The kingdom is about to happen. He's about to lead a coup against Rome. He's going to overthrow that government. Man, I can't wait to be there. That's why, again, remember that question? Uh, by James and John in the Gospels, where they're like, who's going to sit at your left hand and your right hand? Why? Because they wanted to be like the governors of the kingdom that they thought Jesus was about to establish. Are we going to get our own little regions to govern God? Who's going to be right next to you? Who's going to be your right-hand man? So imagine all of that is filling your mind, all of those thoughts. That's what you're seeing Jesus as, and then he dies. (laughs) And he's not just kind of dead. He's not just pretending to be dead. He's dead dead. It's three days. It, it kind of goes back to John chapter 11 when it says when they were all sad that Lazarus has dead. And it mentions that he's been dead for three days. Why is that important? Because that was like the final, like the nail in the coffin was three days dead was dead dead. Jesus is dead. They saw him be brutally crucified. And executed on a Roman torture device. Can you imagine how disillusioning that would be for a group of people, uh, of followers of this guy who thought that he was going to be the one that was going to lead them to freedom, lead them out of tyranny, lead them out of Roman dominance? And then now he's being executed on a Roman tree? Talk about disillusionment. Talk about discouragement. No wonder these guys were so depressed. No wonder they were so sad as Jesus' kids. No wonder you're so blue. And that's what he tells them. Verse 25. And he said to them, <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of perhaps tender words. He calls them out. Oh, foolish ones. And slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And I love this. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he interpreted, he disclosed, he explained to them in all of the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here you're getting a contrast of biblical theology, if you will. These guys had a biblical theology that said, our hope is in a better president. Our hope is in a better political leader. Our hope is in this certain figure to come and save us. And Jesus is saying, the better way to view the Bible, the better biblical theology, is to see that all of this is unfolding according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. 
Was it not necessary, he says, that the Christ should suffer these things? And then he says, basically, I would have loved to have been there at this moment where he's showing them from the beginning. So Moses, that is a term that's usually uh, generally referring to the first five books of your Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the books that Moses read. So beginning with the Pentateuch, all through the prophets, all the way to Malachi, what is Jesus showing them? He's showing them, I am the fulfillment of it all. And not only the fulfillment, I am the point. The things, again, concerning himself. That's what we've talked about before, that the Bible is a book that is so incredibly fascinating because, yes, there's history happening. There's real history occurring when you're reading about this king, that king, and the other king, when you're reading about all of the judges. That's real history. When you're reading about Exodus, that's real history. But there's also something else that's happening at the same time. It's not just history. It's revelation. And yes, it's God using real history to reveal himself. Either A, reveal himself in the need for him to come, or either reveal himself in a way that shows us what he would eventually do. That is essentially biblical theology in a nutshell. It's going from Genesis to Revelation in our scriptures and noting how all of it concerns him. You can go to the end of Luke 24, it says the same thing. You can go to John chapter 5. You can go to, um, you can go to 2 Corinthians 1. You can go to Acts chapter 8. There's all these, these different references, these, all of these different indications of where Jesus has always been revealing that all of these things, I'm the point of them all. I'm the one who has come to fulfill them all and not fulfill them as you see fit, but to fulfill them as I see fit. Because I'm not just a political leader who's trying to lead you out of Roman dominance. I'm a savior who's trying to come and, yes, establish a way for you to be freed from sin and damnation. So a way bigger threat. To not just Israel, but to the world. That's what Jesus was facing up against. Not just Rome, not just Caesar. Satan, sin, and death itself. You see, that's what Jesus is showing them. You've gotten off track. Your biblical theology is way out of whack because you think that it's about this. And I'm telling you, it's about this. It's not about, it's, it's, it's not about me sort of fulfill, fulfilling this role that you've, you think I'm supposed to fit. Actually... It's about me being the redeemer, taking your sins and the world's sins on my shoulders and dying, and I've just left them behind in the grave. <laughs> That's what Jesus is revealing. That's what Jesus is showing them. It, well, I'll, I'll read the other verses, and I'll, I'll try and move on. This is like one of my favorite topics, so it's hard for me. Um, Luke 24, look at verse 44. So later, you know, the, these two disciples, they have this awesome time with Jesus, and then eventually they go to the rest of the disciples. Jesus leaves them, and then he, they go to the rest of the disciples. All the disciples are in one room. So the disciples that you're probably familiar with, the 12 or the 11 now that Judas um, took his own life. But, um, so now they're all here, and Jesus walks into the room. That's where he like, walks through the wall. And they have no idea how he did that. And then he shows himself to them. And look at verse 44. Then he said to them, Jesus is, is talking to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything... Everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I love this. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And what are the scriptures about? And said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the, on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. Bam. That's what the Bible's about. 
You know those old Sunday school answers? The Bible, Jesus, they're not too far off. Because that's what Jesus is saying. The Bible is about me. From beginning to end, yes, it has, it has wisdom and has things we're supposed to do. It has things we're supposed to add to our life or subtract to our life. The predominant theme of all of the Bible is always the Redeemer and is showing us, is revealing us how that redemption was made possible. Not because of us, not because of something we've done, not because of something that we have made happen. It's been made possible because of God and his redeeming love for the world. That's what the Bible's telling us. That's the story of the Bible. And I want to keep going on that, but I, I should probably stop there. That's a, that's a long commercial for Sunday nights, because that's what biblical, biblical theology does. It's, it's noting what these books of the Bible do in their own right. So yeah, James is looking at James. What is James saying to this specific church, to these specific believers, while also saying, what is this revealing about who Christ is? That's what biblical theology does or strives to do. Because if, as Jesus has revealed, all of the Bible concerns him, then how does each of the books of the Bible do that? You know, from Judges to Song of Solomon to the book of Romans. That might be an easy one. (laughs) But each one is fitting in to this grand unfolding revelation of who Jesus is. He's the redeemer. He's the one that all of this is concerned about. That's biblical theology. That's the ground of where all theology happens. We can't get away from that. I think, um, I'm, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself, but it's okay. Um, one of the things that I see happening within the church, it, why do you... Uh, <laughs> I should have had the video. It was funny. I showed the video on Sunday nights, but again, um, have you seen that video that went around of the people that were dressed up as, as Woody and Bo Peep on a Sunday morning? Have you seen that video? It's really, it's, it's kind of hilarious, but also kind of like, oh, it's like sad too. Um, it's a pastor uh, and his wife, and they're welcoming people to church, and they're saying, hey, like, come on, come and sit down, and they're dressed up as, as Woody and Bo Peep from Toy Story, um, and they're, like, you know, telling people about, Whatever is going to happen in that church. Um, and you might even think, hey, what's the big deal in that? I would say there's a really big deal in that. Because when, you, when you're coming to church, it's, it's not like a flippant thing. It's not something that we can just casually just cast off. And I'm not saying you have to dress up to the nines necessarily. I'm, just, I'm also not saying you can't wear Woody's clothes if you want to. I, I don't think I'm going to kick you out if you do that. But I'm just saying when you're walking into church... It should be, yes, a joyful thing, but it's also a serious thing in the sense that you are in that moment sort of declaring war on all the other theologies in the world. You know, uh, all of these other realms of thought that are all around you, you like your school, your friends, your family members that don't believe in Jesus, they have a quote-unquote theology. Uh, It's not a good one, perhaps, but it's a theology nonetheless. And when you come to church, you're declaring war on all those other theologies. And when you're here... And you're being greeted with this word. You're being greeted with the only word that matters, so to speak. And, and, and that's why when I, when, I sh- when I look at that, I shudder. Why are they able to dress up like that on a Sunday morning? It's because th- their theology is not lining up with how significant it really is. Not only how significant the word is, how significant uh, Sunday mornings are. 
You know, we don't just come to church because it's tradition. We're not here at Sunday school. Okay, Sunday school is a tradition. That's something that was started, you know, not that long ago. It's a tradition. It's it's a fine tradition. We want more time and space and opportunity to get into this word and study. And I'm getting way off on what I'm supposed to talk about, but that's right. Um, it's, it's, It's a tradition. But coming to church and gathering with the saints and hearing the word opened in, in our tradition, sometimes taking communion once a month, you know what? That is not a tradition. That is a God-mandated thing that all of his followers are supposed to do. It's in the word of God. You go to Acts chapter 20, is the first little mention of Paul uh, gathering with the saints on a Sunday morning. He says on the first day of the week. And ever since then, really... Ever since those first years of the church happening in the book of Acts, God's people have assembled. Why? So they can be reminded that all, no matter what the chaos is all around you, that there's a word that tells us that there is a redeemer. And if his redemption is true, guess what's also true? His second advent. If his first advent is true, as all uh, of what the apostles would declare, that this Jesus, when they say the Jesus of Nazareth, in, in the book of Acts, what you'll notice a lot is they emphasize that part of his name, Jesus of Nazareth, meaning the real dude Jesus from Galilee, the teacher from Nazareth, that guy, he was actually the Messiah, and you killed him. That's what Peter and Paul say on a number of occasions. Why do they do that? It's to emphasize the fact that the one who was really born in Nazareth or in Bethlehem to two people from Nazareth, that man was also the Christ. And they're proving that the first advent of Jesus was true in his death and resurrection, which therefore means his second advent is going to be true as well. That's why Paul is is telling some of his churches uh, and and some of his other letters to have this forward-looking look unto the Christ who is coming. Peter does that as well. And I'm I'm getting off, but it's okay. But what, what I'm trying to emphasize then is, if your theology is just a little bit off, then, yeah, you can go off and talk about who knows what. You know, it doesn't matter what you talk about then. One of, the, one of the reasons why I'm like super stubborn, and I've talked about this, one of the reasons why I'm super stubborn about what I preach about is because I know that I don't need anything more or anything less than Jesus. So why would I want to give you something else? I can, we can talk about wisdom. We can talk about all of these things that might help our lives. And there's things that we can put into place, yes, to help our marriages, help our relationships, help all of those other things, help us be better workers. But the point is, if you're, if you're doing so apart from Jesus, then eventually you're going to forget why you're doing that in the first place. Jesus is the point. All of the Bible concerns him. I'm going to try and get us back. All of theology concerns him. He's, he's the reason why all of this is important, why all of this is significant. So again, commercial, come to Sunday nights. We're talking about biblical theology. That's the basis for all of theology, and I didn't even get through three pages. Okay, so uh, we're going to pick up here next time. Um, We're going to talk more about the reasons why for theology, but also we're going to talk about systematic theology in general. Um, Introduce that, because uh, essentially what – I'll just – We'll, we'll fly through this really quick, and, and then I'll entertain questions if you have any. Um, systematic theology is taking, like, all of what the Bible says about a particular topic. So, like, 
creation, or you could say the doctrine of man. What is, what is the doctrine of man? Like, what is, what, how does the Bible describe who man is? And it's taking all of the reference to that and just putting them in a sort of digestible sort of little package. So some of the things that are, are going to happen in systematic theology, which is just an, a systematic organizing of what theology says. So what does the Bible say about this? And you put that in a systematic way. So what does the Bible say about the Bible? Uh, in a couple of weeks, maybe after next week, hopefully if I get through it all, um, Jason is going to be leading us through bibliology, which, if you know what ology means, what does bibliology mean? Discourse about the Bible, really good. Um, discourse about bibliology is just the doctrine of the Bible. And you're showing not only from the Bible, uh, but essentially from the Bible, why the Bible is true. And that's not circular reasoning. You might think it is, but I mean, I'm excited for, what, um, for how Jason's going to tackle that. So I'll let that up to him. Uh, doctrine of the Bible, Christology, doctrine of Christ. You have pneumatology, which is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. You have angelology, which is sometimes um, sort of coupled with demonology, which is the study of angels and demons and Satan himself. You have eschatology, which is the study of the end times. All of these different things, basically what you're doing is you're establishing a groundwork for what you can say that you believe about all these different things. From the Bible, that's, if you get anything from this morning... The Bible is where all of theology comes from. And so if someone is telling you something, uh, this thing is true, what's our first response? Check it with the word. <laughs> Check it with what the word says in front of you. Because if it doesn't line up with that, it's probably not true. 